Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on this Wednesday morning, the 20th of September. A very good morning to everybody listening to you across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. So much to get through this morning and a huge show for you. If you've missed any of it, please, you can get in and go on to Spotify and download any of our previous episodes, they're all there, Rural Queensland today uh, with Ben Dobbin. We're going to talk a little later with Mike Gearan. The Gordon Tallis Cup is on in Townsville this weekend and there is a lot of rugby league, junior rugby league teams playing there. Ben Hunt will join us, Justin Chaveau, and we're going to talk about this scare tactics that are coming out of the Queensland government just around El Nino and the Bureau of Meteorology for that instance as well. They've really got to take some responsibility and start supporting the farmers rather than just absolutely decimating us week in, week out. So much more to get through this morning. This is Rural Queensland today. Let's get into it across the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Wednesday morning, the 20th of September, and you're with Ben Dobbin across Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Where do I begin? And I don't know, and I feel for everybody in rural and regional Queensland today because... In a lot of ways, it's not a conspiracy theory, but gee whiz, talk about wanting to screw an industry over and an area of agriculture in one foul swoop without having any comprehension about what you're doing. And I'm talking about the Bureau of Meteorology and the Queensland Government and their continual scare tactics about the El Nino. Queenslander swelter through unbearable bearable heat as El Nino takes a grip. And this is reported in the Courier Mail. It was reported on Channel 9, on Channel 7, on the ABC, on all television stations, that the Weather Bureau has declared two major climate drivers prompting weather experts to warn, to warn Queenslanders to prepare for a summer of extreme heat and fire. You get where this is going? The Bureau of Meteorology has officially declared an El Nino weather pattern expected to bring extreme heat wave conditions to Queensland. Well, Queensland does get hot in the summer. Dozens of bushfires burn across the state. Southeast Queensland will likely swelter through unbearable temperatures. With both El Nino events underway in the Pacific Ocean and a positive Indian Ocean the poly event in Western Oceans. The two major climate drivers are the forecast to create hot, dry and elevated fire danger, meaning temperatures could, could remain well above average through to March. It comes after Queensland experienced its hottest winter on record, with the last declared El Nino leading Australia's hottest year on record in 2016. Now, I understand how dry it is, and I understand exactly the weather patterns and how it works. But while we are different leading into a black summer from 2019, when we've had years of preceding drought in dying and more rapidly drying out and more rapidly occurring recent events, unfortunately, we'll probably see the continuation of a global heat up until the middle of 2024. And then they talked about the fires that burned. And I talk about the ones in Townsville, Miriam Vale, Sunshine Coast, Morton Bay, Somerset, Gatton and across the Darling Downs. So 
The Queensland Fire and Emergency Service Commissioner Greg Leach said on Tuesday that none were caused of concern. But yeah, no, no, we'll go with all this. Now, despite all this, they don't can can't 100% rely on completely what is going on. And I'm going to talk to Justin Chaveau very shortly. But I can tell you, the talk about firefighting and the scare tactics, and it is dry, how do you think that helps the rural industry and the people who absolutely are the backbone? And that's you. I, 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 we should be looking at this and saying, you know what? Why are we worried about bushfires and, you know, the population and extreme heat? What about the people who have to work in it every single day that don't get to go home and work from an office, air-conditioned office? What about the hundreds of thousands of farmers and beef producers in Queensland who are on their knees already with falling cattle prices and dry conditions? How are we going to support them? How are we going to support people keeping the food on our table? How are we going to support the shortage of cottonseed, the shortage of hay fodder, the shortage of grass over the next 12 months? Hasn't been mentioned. No, but we're worried about sweltering, unbearable heat. And do you know why they're doing all this? And do you know why the scare tactics are coming out as much as it is? And look, there is something to be worried about. But it's a percentage and it's a hypothesis and there's no guarantees. And we know in El Nino's there's also severe storms and we also know that you can have rain depressions and things can change and cyclones come and rain happens. We know. We've, we've been through it. We've lived it. We've survived it. But never has there been a bigger push for renewables as well. So off the back of this, and, oh, we need to you know keep power prices down and we need to find other sources of income and renewables and that'll get us to net zero by 2030. I've never seen them trot them out for scare tactic in my life. Mate, they haven't got COVID to hide behind anymore where we all had to go into lockdown and every day they had their scare tactics and they bought out you know the the you know probably you know chief doctor and and the premier and and the health minister and they talked about how it is and we need to contain this and we we've got a war and there's no two ways about it covid was a bad thing but it was nowhere near what we thought it was going to be and now they've got another disaster it's the weather and fire well, they need to support the fire department and I'm going to talk to Justin Chavot very shortly because what they are doing is absolutely destroying any hope that people have of survival. Now, she's backflipped the Premier on three different policies uh, as they near the election. Didn't we see this coming? Didn't we see the Palaszczuk government um, issue their third major policy backflip in less than a week? Is off the back of a coming back from holidays. She got absolutely tirated while she was away. And now the dire polling is revealing that could lose the next election. Well, I don't think anybody anybody didn't see that coming. The government has made a third, third, I'll say that, backflip in a week. And this one is around the housing. Now, it's third significant policy change within a week following Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk's bombstill decision to establish a complaints clearing house after 
refusing to do so, and Treasurer Cameron Dick's move to exclude GP services from payroll tax changes. Now, they needed to do that. The repeated policy reversals come after Miss Palaszczuk attempted to reset her government agenda and leadership rumblings after dire polling, and they're on track to lose in 2024. The Premier on Tuesday declared her decision to establish a complaints-clearing house after earlier rejecting the idea. She said after some period of time of reflection, that's what she's decided. She denied being at odds with the public sector. Um, she's had time to reflect on it, and everyone is completely on board. Asked whether anything had changed other than a reflection, she said no. The government at this moment... Now, uh, has also appointed an independent oversight into the inquiry into the transport minister Mark Bailey's $2.4 billion manufacturing cost cover-up after earlier declaring um, that, it, that Rachel Hunter would oversee the probe. So now they're going to get an independent person to have a look at it. How long is that going to last? It is, it, you know, they, they, they won't finish it looking at that. I mean, this is all boring and it's scaremongering, but what it does is it shows that the Premier is now just politicising everything she possibly can to protect, her, to protect her seat. Now, she's backflipping, she's making it user-friendly, and it's a quick fix. We're in dire straits. You want a scare tactic about the weather, Premier? Scare tactic about our economy. You want a scare tactic about housing? Go to the regions. Start supporting those who look after you every single day. And that is the people of rural and regional Queensland. We'll take a break, come back with more. Justin Chaveau joins us next on Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Um, look, we're very lucky to have Justin Chaveau joining us um, from the Rural Fire Brigades Association. And, and look, I've been talking about this yesterday. I opened the show with it as well. And there is some real concern. But the scaremongering coming from the government around the fire, fire department, yet they are absolutely and completely 100% responsible for the maintaining of certain parts of this state, yet their failure to do so is causing catastrophic risk. They can trot out the weather, they can trot everything out they like, but the bottom line is that there is some people who need to be accountable. And the volunteers in the Rural Fire Service, they are unfortunately... A lot of them have had enough. Justin Chavot joins us this morning. How are you, mate? I'm well, thanks. Um, um, look, the, the the state is a landholder like like you are, like I am, like everybody else. They have exactly the same legal obligation that we do. The state owns the crown, owns over sixty percent of Queensland. Now, about thirty percent of that is pastoral holdings. So that's many of your listeners out there and they're they're fantastic land managers because they have a commercial interest in maintaining their their risk. Um, but state forest, national park, unallocated state lands, that makes up over just over thirty percent of the land mass of Queensland. Um, and and we are seeing a lot of that is not being not being maintained in any way, shape, or form, and the risk is not being mitigated. And we are. Are we talking about side seeing, of the roads, medium strips, national parks? What are we talking about here? Yeah, we're talking all of it. So, so it's over thirty percent of the state the crown the crown owns. So that is uh, main roads, that's rail corridors, especially rail corridors where they are but main roads. It's state forest, it's national parks, 
it's unallocated state land. Um, that means that, you know, in, in Mackay a number of years ago, when there was the, the big bushfires in 2018 and 19, they did a bushfire review in 2019. Yeah, I remember it. Um, yeah, you remember it. We wrote in, we said, you know, this, this is who owns the land. You've got to maintain the land. Um, and, and we found that in, in the Mackay area, there was something like 1300 parcels of, of state land and unallocated state land. There was only like two or three people who, who were, whose role was to look after it. So it's, it's the people on the front line are, are, are completely incapable of managing the sheer volume of land and the burning requirement overlay of you can't burn on this day and you can't do that. And then you're going to need traffic control and then someone's got to manage the traffic control. And it, 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 it's just, it just it's, it's layer upon layer upon layer. And just when you think you start to make headway, so we've been talking with... Um, the Ministry of Main Roads, TMR and Main Roads, about roadside burning. Then the other day I was sitting out at West Tech at Bar Calden and a fellow came along and he's from Stock Roots. And he said, no, I'm not going to let you burn anything because it's 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 all a potential stock route. Um, and, and so then I've gone back to the to the Department of Main Roads and Transport and said, well, we now have another block. We need so to you can't burn, you can't burn on the stock routes which where the rail corridors are is that correct or well, so so on the on the road corridors it's a stock route that's what this fellow said so i didn't i didn't know a lot about stock routes so i, I couldn't call him on it at west tech um and so then i went and had a look at the legislation for stock routes it's 101 pages so we've got to start wading our way through that but uh but then i spoke to sean dillon he sat down um, and he, he was he said he was a bit of shame he didn't turn up five minutes earlier because he would have liked to have a chat to that person. Um, and and Sean has some idea about stock routes. And then I was talking last week to the mayor of um, Scenic Rim, and he also has some thoughts about stock routes. So there's there's so many different vested interests in play when you say let's burn the side of the road that that it's to quote. A senior policy advisor from a government department I spoke to last week, the TMR Main Roads Department is red tape on overdrive. So why are they? I mean, okay, we it's all know this. I, I, the, the, the scare tactics yesterday about the El Nino and that they come out and it, it's almost embarrassing. There's no, there's no um, even acknowledgement of the agricultural industry in this. All it is is, oh, you poor people in Brisbane, you're going to swelter. And there could be bushfires. Um, everything's a could, but it, 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 they haven't fixed it. You talk about some of the legislation and what they haven't done here. You also talk about the lack of funding. I want to talk about one hundred and one million compared to seven hundred million in New South Wales. You know, they're the kind of they're the kind of numbers that we're talking about. You know, like the lack of support. And I understand that you're in a political minefield, Justin. I get that, but. Outside, I step on a few. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Outside looking in, this is the the, the real truth. Is there are volunteers walking away? People there, are there, frustrated. There are. There, you it, you, it, you it's cannot not have just enough. The money. Yeah, it's not enough support. There is not enough it, it, support there, and you are doing absolutely everything you possibly can, and it could be catastrophic. And the reason it could be catastrophic is because. You just don't have the bums in the trucks. You don't have the number of volunteers and people who are working with you because of red tape, politicking, lack of funding, lack of services. It is a culmination of everything that's going on and it could be catastrophic. 
and then it'll, the the brunt will be on you blokes. Yeah, look, you're right. It's not a disaster. Is very rarely one isolated thing. It's a whole heap of things to come together that that all a confluence of 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 trouble. And that's what we've got now is so we we are saying brigade members are finding it hard to join. So there's barriers to saying, I want to join a brigade and defend my local community. Um, we we are not encouraging or, or trying to keep the, the volunteers we've had stay. So we've lost 10,000 brigade members since Blue Card came in, and that was from a number of things, um, a major one being Blue Card, but also the way they're being treated. And so if you if you if a person leaves with 35 years experience and you replace them with a person who joined yesterday, on the books it looks like one volunteer came in and one volunteer went out, but we lost 35 years of experience in that local area. So it's not 35 years of experience across the state, it's 35 years of I know how the fire moves through my local environment. And they're the people we need to run fires because they know what's going to happen next because they live there. We, with, with training. So there's a report on our website. At the beginning of the year, we went around the state uh, with the Rural Fire Service, spoke to 600 brigade members. And those brigade members all, all gave their opinion and their thoughts. And it was written down and it was turned into a report that came out in July by the fire service, not even by me. And it says that brigade volunteers don't want or like the training that is being offered to them because it is complex um, and it it doesn't meet their requirements. So one of the questions in training is, that you have to get right, by the way, is what is the difference between a policy and a procedure? Who cares, right? Um, and, And this training, because all of it's nationally accredited, it takes time because you need all these certified trainers around the state to be able to provide it or sign it off. In March last year, so March 2022, the Commissioner of QFES, Greg Leach, came to the RFBAQ general meeting. So that's all the elected reps from across the state. And the Commissioner said, we've just realised that the training that we provide to brigade volunteers is training that is written specifically for career firefighters who... Um, wait to respond in a station during the day and we provide training to them. And we say, you will be here at this time. You will do this training. It will look like this. And these are the accreditations you will get. And the commissioner said, and you know what? AFAC, Australian Fire Authorities Council, we've all just worked out the vast majority of people who actually fight fires, firefighters across Australia, are volunteers. Yet the training is written for career people. So we want to train our, change our training in Queensland to two different streams. So one is locally provided training. So you go and join your local rural fire brigade and your local hands-on training where you operate under direction is provided by the first officer of that brigade and that first officer of the brigade certifies you as being competent to do these things on the yellow truck in your community. Fantastic. Now, and, and then if you, if, you, if you like that and you want to go further and do different things, then you can jump onto the nationally accredited scheme. So you have yeah. both and you could migrate between the two, right? So the reps thought that was great. It was the greatest thing ever. And the commissioner said this in front of Minister Mark Ryan. And Minister Mark Ryan thought it was a great idea too. So we said, let's go and do it. So we chased the commissioner for about six or seven months. When are we doing it? When are we starting? Let's go and tell the brigades. Let's get them on board. Let's let the first officers know that with this new training, that's being provided, they will have to accept a slightly higher level of risk because they are deeming a person competent to operate under direction in their brigade in their area, right? Which they've been doing anyway, but we've never actually had the conversation about this is a slightly higher level of risk for you. 
Anyway, so we, we push and we push, let's do it. Everyone thinks it's a great idea. And nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. So then we go and see the deputy commissioner, who's from Fire and Rescue, who was the head of all the training. And he goes, well, I've never heard about this. We won't be doing that. And the whole thing's been shut down. So so the, the machine says, you will, you can only buy from our shop, and this is the only product we're making. And that product happens to be Mission Brown paint in 44-gallon tins. Now, Mission Brown paint in 44-gallon tins was very popular in 1976. Yep. But it's not now, and, and they're not, we know they're not providing a product that the customer wants to buy. And we know that because the customer's not buying it, right? So people want to join their brigade. They want to defend these communities, but they, they want to undertake training to a higher level. But there's all these barriers, the fire. So how do they fix it? In its way. How do well, they fix it? We just got to go. Look, at the, at the end of the day, the, 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 we lost our way. So in 1990, when we were taken over by fire and rescue, um, you've got sociologically two different things. So a fire and rescue station is a career station full of paid people who sit there waiting for something to happen and then they respond to it, whether it be a car fire or a house fire or a car accident. So that is a reactionary organisation. So you need a catalyst for them to do something. A rural fire brigade is different. A rural fire brigade is drawn from the community. It's a club like any other pony club, tennis club, croaky club, whatever it is. It just happens to be a club that has superpowers under the legislation. So it's very, very cool. It's so complex, Justin. All. It's so complex. But it it, 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 it is, was but so simple. Yeah, yeah, but mate, it was so simple for so long. It why, was. And, why, that, and, that's what and we, we have absolutely, like, from having having 50 local members part of the rural fire service who go in there, we've just made it almost impossible. The red tape and the politicking is putting lives at risk and properties at risk. Which is why we need to leave, which is why we need to say, give us our own rural fire service back and and put the brigade members in charge, their voice through a board and let us have... Let us go back to where it started. So in the beginning, there were why, no cases. Why, why would they ever have changed it? Is it control? Be honest. Is it control? Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything in life comes down to money, power, and sex, I suppose. Um, and and this is about if you if 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 you say we have all these firefighters, we are also firefighters. We're career firefighters, so we do this as our job. So therefore, we do this all the time. So therefore, we do this better. But a career fire station and a community fire brigade, Completely a rural different. fire brigade, are sociologically different things. Different mindsets, and everything. That's right. That's right. And we've got to go back to say, look, these things are different. Let's acknowledge that they're not the same. Let's treat them differently and let's create or go back to having that support network that allows people who live in their communities to defend themselves to the level that they choose. I agree. All right. Mate, we'll talk again. I'm going to do some more on this, but you make a lot of sense this morning. Thanks for giving me some time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good on you, Justin Chabot. And this is just getting worse and worse for these rural fire services and something that we need to really keep our eyes on. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin on Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. It's Wednesday morning, the 20th of September, across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Not far away, we will talk with Mike Gearan, uh, Ag Force President. But this weekend in Townsville is one of 
the best rugby league competitions that take place annually. Uh, look, I understand there's prelim finals in Brisbane on Saturday night, and I get it. But the real cup is the Gordon Tallis Cup, and it's being held. It is being held in Townsville this weekend. And look, I don't even know if he's ever been on rural Queensland today, but for the first time in a long time on rural Queensland today, it's my sparring partner, my good mate Gordon Tallis, joining us this morning. Hello, mate. How are you? Hey, Dobbo. Yeah. Do you know what? I think I've been on rural Queensland, so I've made it again. I think it was about five years ago. I think I've. I think I was on there. Yeah, Jeez, you've come a long way. You've come a long way. Grass or something like that, mate. I was talking about something. You know, all the Charters Towers miners used to beat us up somewhere around that area, Mount Isa. Yep. Yep. Clon Curry. Yeah, you've come a long way since then, Gordon. <laughs> it must be me. Um, now, listen. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about this for a story? Yeah. Eighty teams have nominated. Yeah for the Gordon Tallis Cup in 2023. Now, they spread far and wide. You've got teams from Runaway Bay, the Winton Devils, they'll be there. You've got teams from Charters Towers, Emerald Brothers, the mighty Emerald Brothers. I mean, this is one of the great junior rugby league competitions with your name to it, and it's important to you, Gordon. It's a really important comp. Well, Well, it's quite humbling because I was still playing. I think it might have been in 2002 I had, I thought I'd, start a competition with Townsville Junior Rugby League, they they approached me, could they name something after me? And I said, well, why don't we have a, you know, like a carnival? And we didn't. There were seven teams, seven seven local teams. So the first year there were seven. And then the year after, it just sort of grew. And then obviously, you know, 20, 20 something years later now, you know, we, uh, we try to cap it, but I never like turning back teams or kids that want to come and play in the Gordon Palace Cup. So over a thousand Kids will get the Townsville this weekend. You know, it's so strange, Dobbo, because last year it collided with the Broncos playing the Cowboys, and I felt sorry for the people that travelled there trying to get accommodation, right? Because that's a big weekend in Townsville. And then it used to clash with the V8, the clashes with that. So I thought, at the end of the year, we'll get it. It won't clash with any finals, won't clash with anything. Oh, no. And the Broncos. <laughs> they went on a run, mate. They've gone on a run and they're in a prelim. Um, oh, just imagine if the Broncos were playing the Cowboys. Oh. Mate, if you'd done it another weekend and it was on the grand final, you'd, you'd be having conniptions. Uh, look, no, no, no. This is so important for you, mate. This is so important for you yeah. because Townsville and people know your story. I mean, there's a yeah. road called Wally Tallis which runs along the new stadium there um, in Townsville. That that place is your your lifeblood. Well, you love it. You're a North Queenslander first. That's always what you say. That your mum and dad are proud North Queenslanders, and to yeah. to give back to the junior rugby league comp and to give back to the game up there is so important to you. Well, 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 well. Well, I put myself in the kids category that you know I was lucky enough to go on a tour, and they're some of the things that you remember for the rest of your life. So these young kids are going to go away with 15 of their best mates. They're going to go away for a weekend. They're going to go to the Strand, but they're going to go somewhere else. They're probably going to stay in a hotel for the first time with the boys. I remember my boys played in it. Both of my sons, Ethan and Jackson, yep. played in it. So that was the West Panthers. Like They flew up from Brisbane. There's been teams from Sydney. And that's what it's about. It's those kids getting an experience where they don't have to play rep footy. And some of them might never play rep footy, but they can go away. And it's a great chance for the dads to bond, the mums to bond, and they go and play against so many different teams, get some experience. And it's not about winning and losing, mate. I love winning and losing. But at this age, it's about the kids coming and having a great weekend, bonding with their mum and dad, um, and their dad's getting to meet other guys. And then, you know, I think rugby league's a real winner. You know, look at kids. 
Especially in the regions, Gordy. Yeah, you're, you're a regional. You grew up yep. in the regions. Like, and yep. we're talking to the regions. You, you, yep. I know, I know every, we have a joke, but... It, it, you, you, it's so important, love, you, mate. Yeah, it is so the heart important. of our country, right? And then I remember when, you know, that cyclone, I don't know what it was, and it hit Tully. It might have been Yahtzee or one of those. It went through Tully. Well, Tully come and played, and they had a great kind of like, And those kids hadn't even trained. Like, they didn't have a field to train. They didn't have tackle pads or anything. And they come, and they went really good, and they didn't win the Gordon Tellers Cup, but they won the next one down, the Tully Tigers. And, you know, those little stories are priceless, you know, and then Palm Island Centre team and Kathy Freeman will buy, you know, all these kids that don't even play rugby league and they get a pair of boots and they come and it's, and it's bigger. Like sometimes there's something that is bigger than sport and it's bigger than yourself and it's just giving the kids a weekend away or just giving them some hope or, or yep. just introducing them to something different. Yeah, and you're right. And, and look, you talk about some of the teams, um, you know, yeah. from South Sharks in Mackay, you talk about yep. teams from Runaway Bay. Bo Desert, Bo Desert will be fielding a side, and and look, you can talk about oh. Bo Desert. That's a that's a proud rugby league club. You know yeah. they're coming from oh, a long King way. Fishers. away. Yeah, the Kingfishers, <laughs> the, mate. The yeah. Andrew G's. Yeah. Hey, mate, I tell you what, I know I'm going to make it when the Augustella Meat Ants put a team in there. <laughs> well, I don't. Mate, <laughs> well, I don't know what they're there. They're there. They're they are there. there. The Augustella Meat Ants will be there, mate. Oh. And so when you, when, you, when you get a Meat Ants team there, and look, oh. you talk about the regions, you look at the Broncos, and I talked about this the other day. Yeah. Kurt Capewell. Uh, you talk about Ben Hunt, who who's down at the Dragons. You talk about Cameron Munster, who who's playing for the Melbourne Storm. You, you, talk, you talk about Flegler. You look at Kobe Hetherington, yeah. Corey Oates, they're all bushies like you. They all come from yeah. the regions. Well, mate, and these competitions, well, yeah. that's where they get seen to start off with. Young kids playing football, they don't have a worry in the world. The pressure isn't on them like it is in the cities. No. And this is where you can enjoy your football. Yeah, and and you go to somewhere like Mount Isa, you know what I mean? And look at the people that have come out of there. Like there's, you know, Carl Webb, Scotty Prince, there's yep. the Daisy Brothers, you know, there's the... You know, young Charlie Cameron that's playing for the Lions, yep. Pat Rafter, yep. you know, and Greg Norman. So then they had to start somewhere. So, you know, I mean, there might be some kids that have signed on for rugby league for the first time they get. As I said, get to go play in a carnival, and it's not whether they win or lose, but they're going to play against different kids from different regions, and they're going to have a good time. And hopefully that, you know, the guys that they play play with or against that they're friends for the rest of their lives. Gordy, quickly, the Broncos, can they win? I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. at pains to yeah. ask you about it because I know how this is important this weekend, but do you believe no, Brisbane yeah. will win? Uh, I believe they can, absolutely. You know, like uh, the improvement from the Broncos from round one to now, from last year to now, um, I didn't know how they were going to go in the finals. There was the hoodoo. We all spoke about the hoodoo. Well, that got thrown out the window. Well, that got smashed. That hoodoo got smashed 26 points to nil. So every hurdle that they've had to jump this year, they've jumped it. You know, like they got through the origin period. They, you know, Melbourne Storm, what is it, 13 years. So now they get the Warriors. The Warriors will be full of confidence. They've got the momentum. But they come over to Suncorp Stadium. And, you know, I think Brisbane, I think this... This certainly could be their year. Obviously, Penrith are sitting over there with the Melbourne Storm, so um, I'm sort of tipping that Penrith should be too strong for the Storm, but you just never know. But uh, I think Brisbane, um, mate, what a game it could be. If if the Warriors start the way they did last week, the first 15 minutes was unbelievable. I think the Knights touched the ball twice. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, or like just completed two sets in the first 15 minutes. So that's, you know, so that's semi-final football, just starving the opposition of the football and getting through your sets and 
Yeah, they looked at the scoreboard and it was sixteen nil. Yeah, and that's what that's what they just did. They shocked them. It's going to be a beautiful night on Saturday night. But if you're in Townsville this weekend and you see the Raging Bull, I'll tell you what, I have been lucky enough to see a Gordon Tallis Cup trucker's hat. And I tell you what, I, I've actually they'll been be wearing it. They'll be around. They are just a ripper. I've actually worn one and I've got one there. They're, they're hot off the press. So, boys, yep. if you see it, make sure you go so and get one signed. So don't worry, kids, we got your size. Dobber had the triple XL. <laughs> especially, especially, mate, it was like a sombrero. Yeah, it was like head, a rooster sombrero. My head's got a bit big at the moment. So, hey, Gordon, tell us, best of luck for the weekend. We're going to miss you in part of our commentary and obviously the Sunday Simbin, but this is a really important weekend for you. Back at home in Townsville, Gordon Tallis Cup, 80 yep. under 10 rugby league teams there, enjoying yep. rugby league and how it should be played. Thanks for being with us this morning. Yeah, mate, this is my favourite football weekend of the year. Good on you. Cheers, Gordon Tallis. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Cyril Close joining us, uh, Managing Director of Top X Roma and owner as all, and also of Top X Australia. He joins us this morning on Rural Queensland today. Cyril, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us, mate. Um, a yard in close on 4,000 head yesterday. How was the market in Roma? Yeah, morning, Dolo. Uh, mate, look, there was, uh, yeah, the old good old downward trend yet again. Um, there was uh, a run of some pretty handy cattle there, uh, represented in cattle with a bit of condition on them uh, and in the heavier end. Those cattle attracted pretty fair competition, like a little bit of well, just you know, you, you're living on the minutest uh, sort of uh, ups for, at the minute to try and keep yourself up. But there was a bit more competition on the heavy job. They only, the feeders steers made $2.80 odd um, from, from the mid-270s. but So it was no dearer by any means, but it was uh, a bit more competition there. Uh, the lighter cattle and cows, mate, really starting to show the signs of the season. Um, they are really starting to fall apart now. And once we get into some heat, that's not going to change, I suppose. Uh, but they were, yeah, potentially much the same to a shade softer on steers. But heifers were definitely off the pace as much as cows were. Yeah, it's a real worry. And it's a trend at the moment. It's all seasonal. I understand what's going on overseas at the moment with the with the world economy. But... This is all around the season that it is. Um, there's no way in sugarcoating it, you know, in this part of Queensland. It's very, very dry. And until we see some storms, August, we never get rain. And look, we're nearly at the end of September. So you would think October, they start to, to happen. But it's going to take a lot of moisture, isn't it? And and obviously, it's, it's a real opportune time at the moment for... Uh, people, you know, they, they, if you've got a little bit of feed and you can lock them up and hold them, you can buy some cattle and there, there, there is an opportunity there. It's just, it could be a slow burn. Mate, <clears throat> yeah, exactly right at all of that. Essentially, um, you know, I wish you, you know, you're all saying when you say when the wheat's right, keep the headers rolling. Mate, yeah. get those bloody headers out. Yeah, because that's when it's raining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Christ, so get that sorted, would you? Yeah, well, um, I, mean, I mean, that's October. That's coming. I mean, I have a bit of pushback. <laughs> I, but I, I have a catch cry when the wheat's right, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Well, and I mean that genuinely. Like, that's October. Like, that, that's when you know it will rain. Camp draft time at Condamine, and the headers start rolling around then, and you watch, it will rain. But in, in all seriousness, your neck of the woods, and north of Roma, uh, west of Roma, south of Roma, you know, in the Maranoa, it, it is it, it is diabolical in parts. It's just about tough time of the year, as you said, mate. And if, if, you know you don't look for rain in August and September because otherwise if you're looking for it, you're going to be disappointed because so, it won't deliver. So we've just got to tough out this next period of time, six or eight weeks, 
Yep. And and there will be storms. I don't care what they say. They they won't be able to predict those. And they've already run through here a couple of weeks ago and put a bit of water on the ground. So if we can just do that and hang out, mate, like the, the commodity prices of the feeds that you know in other times you go right. Oh, well, the cattle are back to cents a kilos are back. We'll go and chuck them in the paddock, put a bit of feed in. Well, that's just prohibitive where that's got to and getting to, and then actually being able to buy the stuff. <clears throat> so those sums don't even add up. So that's why there's just absolutely no no one there taking a risk in a punt. Um, and you're just watching these prices just diminish yeah. weekly because due to lack of competition because no one's got any spare tucker to put them on. So they're trying to keep their cows going. They're moving on their dry cattle and um, you know, hunkering down to um, just tough it out till the weather changes, mate. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah we can't paint it any more than what it is, and um, each week it's just going to get tougher as uh, until we see some rain. Will, will the numbers stop or people after being now at that position at the moment they're having to sell? A bit of both there, mate. Don't worry. Like, depends on where you're at uh, in your in your programs. Um, you know, like as I say, there's there, there'll be some people that may have to sell. I, I've got clients we've had that conversation with over the last few days. And unfortunately, we're just going to have to take the hit and sell the particular cattle we're talking about. Yeah. Um, because of you know what their priorities are. Um, so look, there's. There's definitely situations where some people are going to be forced into this untidy market, and then there's others that'll, you know, well, right, we've got ourselves another four or six weeks, and we'll just see how we go. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, listen, I don't want to be doomsdayist, um, but you know, not great at the moment, and we understand that it's everywhere. It's not just isolated. Bull sales, um, still strong. People are, you know, showing some confidence there, although. Um, you know, it, you know anything off the pace, but there's opportunities, and that's where you've got to look at the positive lining. There is opportunities at the moment to to go into this market and obviously uh, continue along. So, thanks so much for being with us this morning. I really appreciate your time. Tough times at the yeah, moment. Always a pleasure, mate. No drums at all. Good on you, Cyril. Close. We'll take a break. Come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. CEO of AgForce joining us this morning, Mike Gear and Mike. Good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Morning, Dobbo. Great to be here. Uh, look, I started. Um, I started the show by the scare tactics, and and uh, I'm concerned. And I'll get to the survey. How important it is, um, the AgForce survey, in a second. But I, I have to talk to you about yesterday with the Bureau of Meteorology coming out with the announcement of El Nino and and the government off the back talking could be catastrophic and unbearable heat and all these kind of stories that they go down this road with, Mike, and then no support whatsoever of, well, hang on, if this is going to happen, the people who provide the food for the state and the nation, they're going to be in some trouble. We probably need to think about them. Um, we probably think need yep. to think a little bit about what they're going through at the moment and how... They've lost sort of 70% of their income, you know, through the back of a market crashing this year. Like, there's been no talk whatsoever of that. And yet the scare tactics and and all this uh, politicking, we know what fertiliser is, we know what cottonseed is costing at the moment, we understand, you know, there's not going to be a lot of wheat around. It, it, it's almost embarrassing. It, it is, Dobbo, and thank you for highlighting it um, around the state. We're drying significantly in a number of areas, and as you said, commodity prices are down. I often talk to people that take the food in the supermarket um, for granted, that you know, just assume it'll be there and don't understand what sits behind it. I talk to them about, imagine if you didn't have income for a number of years, yet you had children in school and bills to pay, how would you you know, be able to manage that? And, and they couldn't, and that's the reality it faces 
businesses and farmers through some of these cycles. Um, and these cycles are a part of Queensland and the Australian landscape. So we go through dry periods and we go through floods. Um, history shows us that. Um, the important thing, though, as you say, is we need to recognise and provide support to these people. Ag forces often talk to the government, talk to Ag Norsem, being very frustrated by the lack of response, this idea of a, of a business cycle approach to agriculture, which is to say that we know we have drying periods, we know we have dry periods. Let's recognise that and let's put in place a structure that supports people through that. These are families, these are children at school, these are people wanting to put food on the table. These are people that keep our supermarket shelves full of locally grown fresh produce and they look after our landscapes uh, as well. So that business cycle approach that we've put together over a number of years talks about the obligations, for example, on producers in the good years in terms of preparing for the dry years, but it also talks about the fact that if producers are doing the right things through the cycles, when it dries and they need a bit of support from the broader community to keep children in school and face these climatic challenges, that we have the structure in place so they're confident ahead of it. They're not sitting there in the middle of drought wondering whether they'll get help. They know that when the drying cycle arrives, what they're able to do to keep the family settled and the local community together. And that's the bit that's missing, Bobbo, and you're right, we're heading into another drought. That conversation hasn't been finished in the way it needs to be. Hasn't, hasn't uh, at all. It really hasn't. Now, can I ask you this, and I, and, I, and this is a really important part of it to get a snapshot, the, the Ag Force survey, um, it's something that we'd like every single person to be a member of Ag Force. There's no two ways about it. It's just it's a crucial part of the fabric. But this is something that is really important for your own data, for your own research, to get an understanding and get a snapshot of what challenges and what people needs and what they face at the moment. That's absolutely correct, Tob, and thanks for promoting it. It is really important we get as many producers as possible to fill in the survey. We've just touched on some of the challenges in Australia where producers and farmers and graziers need a collective voice in government to make sure that the policy settings are strong, that young people can join the industry with confidence, and as we just talked about, for example, know that through the dry cycles they have that support. But more broadly as well, Dobbo, you know, all the evidence is there and Australia has so far avoided the worst of it, albeit we have some challenges and policy settings in some areas. Look at what's happened in Europe. Uh, in some countries in Europe, every year you have to make a fresh application for the livestock numbers you want to carry on your property. In other words, that decision has been put with local government, not with the producers. We look at places like the Netherlands where they're actually closing down farms to meet UN requirements around um, uh, COP. Yeah. We look in New Zealand where they have those punitive taxes around methane emissions rather than working alongside industry and thinking about innovation and technology and other ways of reducing emissions at the same time as lifting production. They haven't hit Australia yet in the way they've hit a lot of the world. Canada's another bad example, but it's coming. So the survey... It is really important that producers take 10 minutes, and it's 10 or 15 minutes at the worst, to fill in the survey because their organisation, AgForce, which operates only to represent them collectively in these important conversations, is really, really clear about the priorities, the areas of concern uh, to the producers across Queensland and how they prioritise those so we are sure we're focused in the right areas. So... If anyone can, if everyone can take 15 minutes and do the survey, it's online, it's on our website, it's on our social media platforms, 
join in, fill it in. It would make an enormous difference to us and be very appreciated. Yeah, I really do. Um, how are you? How are you navigating this renewable debate? How, how are you being consulted with the government at all? Um, because there's a rule for them and a rule for the average person who owns agricultural land. And AgForce are obviously at the table, understanding that there is a need for it. But gee whiz, it can't be Rafferty's rules. No, it can't, Dobbo. And like so many things, there is an incredibly positive, powerfully positive to story to tell about the part that agriculture can play in this broader community conversation about the biofuels, the um, the elements that we can put into renewables from, for example, plants and things we grow, the part we can play in using renewable energy, but also the policy settings that are critical to ensuring that, for example, prime ag land, and we're not making any more prime ag land, ag land remains prioritised for agricultural production, so the supermarket shelves remain full of locally grown fresh produce. So the industry has so much to contribute to the renewables conversation. Uh, it also has some really important pieces that need to be put in place around policy settings. We cannot keep chewing up prime ag land to put up solar farms, wind farms, etc., and then wonder why 20 years down the track our supermarkets start running out of food. We can't do that. We are the envy of the world in the amount of land we have for production. Why are they uh, doing it? What, 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 why, why, why aren't they listening? Why can't they have a vision bigger than you know, just around, you know, one year, two years. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I've got to be honest, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. But what I do know is I represent and work as best I can, and so does everybody in Force, for producers who care, for producers who are part of local communities and have a lot of the answers but don't feel like they're being heard in the way that they should they know that if we can sit down with the government on their collective behalves and talk about what agricultural can contribute to these conversations, it's a powerfully positive conversation that will add to the policy settings in the future of this country. The frustration we have, and you just expressed it, is we keep getting cut out of those conversations. We keep getting, for example, the RPI Act review in Queensland, contemplating the idea that solar farms and indeed coal seam gas, for example, can continue to get put on prime ag land, taking away the ability for us to produce that food where 97% of Queensland is not prime ag land. So why would you even contemplate that? We don't understand it. It's a really important part of the conversation. And one of those examples where producers and communities need a strong, powerful voice at the table having that conversation until a broader community understands what's at stake. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It, it, it is a concern. I, I implore everybody to please, please um, go and, and fill out this survey. Where do they find it? It will be sent to them. Is that right or is it online? Yes. It'll so um, both, both Dobbo, so every member uh, has got it through the weekly, what we call action newsletter. That will yeah. be in their inbox. They can get hold of it through social media. So, for example, the AgForce Facebook site. They can get hold of it through the AgForce website. Uh, if all else fails, please give us a ring. Please ring your regional manager, ring the office in Brisbane, um, reach out and let us know if you're struggling. We'll find, um, we'll answer the phone call and give you those answers. But it's very accessible through all the social mediums, through the website. Uh, and through the weekly newsletter for our members. Oh, fantastic. Appreciate your time this morning, Mike Aaron. Thanks so much for being with us.
Thank you, Dobby. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. It is Wednesday morning, the 20th of September. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Hope you've enjoyed the show. And we're back tomorrow morning from 9am on Rural Queensland Today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Have a great day. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Till next time, from all the team here at Rural Queensland Today, hope you are well. And we will be back, as usual, every single day of the week, trying to represent you, the Queenslanders of regional Queensland. Till next time, it's bye for now.